Good evening, everyone. I'm sorry it's so uh, dark, but um, among the many issues in this old building that we inhabit, uh, we've now added that uh, one of my electrical outlets has disappeared basically <laughs> so I just have this lamp here uh, in the back so sorry it looked kind of gloomy <clears throat> also um, I, uh, I took what I thought would be an innocent nap this afternoon and awoke with uh, my old friend, uh, Migraine, <laughs> which some of you, I'm sure, are weary hearing of, but it's the way it is. And it was too late to do anything about it. So um, I'm speaking to you through a little bit of a fog here in addition to the, the darkness. So uh, do, you, do you not do the uh, chant before Dharma talks anymore? Or is that part of the practice or? I, I thought we did that, Mio. You, oh, you, you did? Chanted it. Ah, okay. Chanted it, and then we chanted with you, but maybe uh, you oh, couldn't cool. hear us. No, I didn't hear it. Okay, cool. Oh, That's okay. Good. You good did chant. Know. Okay. Um, for um, most of our American uh, sanghas, um, there is a process of uh, ongoing instruction in our um, approach to practice. Uh, which is composed of a great many details. And um, I'm, I'm sorry if that seems burdensome sometimes, but I just wanted to mention again, I, I noticed when we were chanting the hymn to the perfection of wisdom that uh, some of us were pausing as we naturally do at the uh, punctuation places and sometimes at the, what to us is the uh, normal English phraseology. But the idea is to chant the hymn just as you do the, the Heart Sutra. Uh, with the Heart Sutra, of course, we have the um, Mokugyo uh, keeping us chanting together and uh, keeping us from selecting places to stop that match what looks like the text. So, so just remember that basically with all of our chants, uh, we're doing chanting practice rather than um, reciting a text whereof we are expected to grasp the meaning as we chant. So uh, we uh, try to take a breath 
pretty much anywhere and not in the ordinary places that we might expect to as English speakers. So just maintain a chanting voice throughout, which is it's a little, uh, it's something most of us are unaccustomed to. So it requires a little, little attention. Uh, but again, that makes it uh, less some kind of recitation and more of an actual uh, body, breath, and mind practice. Uh, for us, uh, uh, chanting is, um, well, it's not really like hymn singing in, um, in some of our, our Western religious traditions it's a it's a kind of a, a, a zazen with the voice so I'll just put that out there for for your contemplation I see we we aren't so many this evening and uh, a, a youtuber whom I periodically listen to announced that the temperature had been in the 90s there in Sacramento. Uh, so things are heating up already. Uh, here, San Francisco, people are complaining about the cold. <laughs> We've had our friend, the coastal stratus or fog for the past few days and a, a quite stiff wind which requires us to bundle up. So that's our weather. I hope uh, your practice is going well. Uh, it is, whether we want to give it that label or not, which is... Uh, Something very encouraging, at least to me. It's uh, already uh, May. Uh, tomorrow, May 2nd, uh, in some, some parts of the world uh, observe the festival of Vesak on May 2nd, which in, in the southern style of Buddhism is a festival uh, associated with Buddha's um, uh, setting forth on the path of awakening and also enlightenment and also his parinirvana. And it's also my late brother's birthday. And as some of you know, uh, I lost my brother, who was my only family, really, at the end of uh, last year, at the end of November. So uh, this will be an occasion of some some sorrow for me. And that is our 
our life unfolding minute by minute, day after day. Uh, I will be, myself, I will be 72 in July. And um, uh, developing some of the uh, issues that crop up later in life for many of us. Um, uh, I remember way back from when I was a kid that my grandmother, who was my mother's mother, uh, suffered uh, for quite a long time with arthritis. And it appears I am inheriting some of that. So um, in, in recognition of this phase of, of the human career, I bought myself a new pair of walking shoes on Saturday and celebrated today by walking to the Department of Motor Vehicles and back uh, successfully. So uh, these small triumphs are, um, are welcome and uh, to be respected. But uh, one thing I have not done yet this year is to share my poem of demise, also sometimes a little more abruptly called the death poem. And this is uh, something that um, uh, Zen monastics uh, are encouraged to do once a year, is to write a death poem. Uh, this is kind of similar to, as you may know, when uh, monastics, uh, Buddhist monastics travel, uh, the, the those who are following the uh, traditional vinaya or um, monastic uh, discipline uh, usually have little or no money, but they uh, all carry enough for um, uh, paying for their burial or presumably uh, cremation. So that's one tradition. And this other tradition is that uh, each year uh, a, a Zen monastic, uh, usually uh, after attaining a certain age, will write a poem of demise. And I have not shared that yet, so I thought I would, unless um, that's too creepy. <laughs> in, in which case, well, it's okay, it's a short poem. Poem of Demise, 2023. Yes, I travel on alone now. The family I treasured have gone. When what can be lost is lost, are there still blessings? 
In spring, under the plum trees, there was an enchanted aroma of their blooming. On a traffic island, in a quiet street, among the tidy houses, on the way to school. I have no disciples, but let it go. Anything accomplished races into the past. For my legacy, a scant portrait of my Chan. Sitting still in the dead tree hall, the scent of plum blossoms was just enough. Thank you for listening to that poem. Meanwhile, we are still uh, uh, breathing and more or less intact. You recently lost a longtime Sangha member, uh, Linda Decker, whom I miss seeing here this evening. And this is uh, this is our human way. And as far as we know, has always been. And I think in spite of the um, uh, predictions of some of uh, our uh, technical experts, I think it will always be our human way. Whether a, um, a vista of uh, uninterrupted human life or maybe post-human life will ever unfold where at some point we rise up into the electronic heavens and exist disembodied as electronic entities of some sort. I don't know. But I, I, uh, I tend to be skeptical. Instead, this uh, body-mind manifests as we travel this life path. And I think that will continue to be our human way. but I won't be around to uh, watch that unfold. Some of you might be. Now, do I expect to be back? <laughs> In Buddha Dharma, of course, Buddha was um, uh, a, a close and, and extremely capable student of the various uh, currents of uh, 
spiritual practice and teaching of his day. And at the time in his world, it was simply accepted that there was such a thing as rebirth. And I've noticed that uh, sometimes in Western sanghas, there's a great deal of, uh, well, call it skepticism. But I would say the the story of rebirth uh, is one that I find quite congenial and that we humans as storytellers uh, make our way through our life with the, in the company of various stories that enlarge upon the themes of our lives. And I personally find the teaching of rebirth quite congenial. The Tibetans, of course, uh, much like the the people of Buddha's own time, uh, I think uh, universally accept that rebirth is how our existence continues to unfold. And I don't think they question that much. Hence the, that uh, deep trust in that teaching is the source of, of that famous Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist saying, which I particularly love, which is, uh, everyone dies and no one is dead. And when I, whenever that comes to my mind, I often find my response is, I bet that's right. I'll bet that is so. So, though we all will die, none of us will be dead. It's kind of cool. So uh, sometimes we will um, conjure one or another image of this uh, process of rebirth. And one of the... um, One of the ways that teaching can get off balance is the quite natural assumption that there is, so to speak, someone 
who kind of hops from birth to birth. Um, as though, I don't know, traveling from country to country and getting on an airplane or a uh, boat or something and then traveling and then arriving and then disembarking and there you are in a new country. But of course, Buddha did not teach rebirth in that way. Another image I've heard is uh, some might think, um, well, it's like the, uh, maybe it's like the hermit crab. And as, as you may have seen, uh, a hermit crab, marvelous little creature, uh, finds um, a vacant uh, shell or other accommodation once it has outgrown the last one and uh, moves in. And sometimes, as you may have seen, they are they're quite beautifully, I don't know if it's fair to say decorated, but uh, if it's a shell, there may be little uh, little uh, pebbles attached to the outside or little bits of seaweed. And you can sometimes see this little little house crawling across the sand underneath the water. So uh, sometimes uh, people think that well, that's that's actually how we pass from life to life. It's like the hermit crab uh, exiting one little house and finding hopefully another before we're snapped up by some larger critter. But again, that wasn't really Buddha's teaching. And Buddha's teaching, of course, is more like uh, there's no one home. Uh, and the house is um, somehow manifested in, in the mysterious and complex unfolding of what we call karma.
and part of the work of um, maintaining the illusion of the persistent enduring person uh, involves having a house of some kind. For us humans, we have this body-mind. And the dominance of wrong view or ignorance, which as you know, is at the, in a manner of speaking, the head of the chain of dependent origination, the 12 links, I'm sure you've come across that teaching before. And as it's a circle, you could say, well, it doesn't really have a beginning, but one way to look at it is the process in some impossibly ancient past somehow began with a misunderstanding. Namely, that, well, there's a house and there's someone home. And that someone leaps from life to life. So Buddha taught, well, you know, it's not actually like that. It's more like uh, the story goes on and on. But there is no enduring teller of the tale. Teller and story evolve under the impetus of the winds of karma. So if the lovely little shell inhabited by the little hermit crab which, as you know, without his little little residence is quite vulnerable. Uh, that dwelling is actually vacant. Now, some have said, well, If that's so, then uh, how can there be any liberation?
Well, in fact, the realization, the discovery that there is, in fact, no one actually home that is liberation. And that, as we just recited, disperses the gloom and darkness of delusion. Uh, dispenses with what has been called our misknowledge. And in our uh, tradition of practice, we are encouraged to let that powerful truth illuminate and sustain our practice, which we sometimes call Zazen, and which is not, as Dogen teaches, limited to, as he says, sitting or lying down or standing or walking. It has no such limitations. Sometimes it's easiest to celebrate that by sitting still and setting aside all concerns. And because this is consistent with Buddha's teaching of things as they are, of reality, it begins to erode our misknowledge, our misunderstanding. And so whatever there may be of wisdom about us, about this person, we are born with. And is of the nature of this body-mind and the teacher's job is something like pointing to that over and over and rejecting the student's long-standing effort to present some substitute. So this results in the quality of the teacher-student dialogue in, in Zen. People can sometimes find frustrating because
the student can present, we might call some alternative. And it's up to the teacher to say, mm, nope, not yet. And this can be both frustrating and liberating, as maybe many of you, maybe all of you, can attest. Over the many years I studied with my teacher, I presented many alternatives. And I am profoundly grateful to him for saying in one way or another, nope, not yet. And eventually this truth of no alternative is revealed to be your own or our own. And they say, well, then the little hermit crab won't need any more houses. And that little creature is suddenly freed into the vastness of the sea. And we will find out about that, all of us. Uh, well, I feel I've been talking for quite a while. Maybe uh, someone else would like to say something or ask a question. As I said, I'm a little foggy this evening. And it's not impossible that I have just presented a completely warped version of Buddhist teaching. And if so, please point that out. Oh, hi, Mio. It's, it's Jim. Hi, Soang-san. Hello. Good, good evening. Well, I have uh, several thoughts. Um, you know, one, one is uh, that this about the misknowledge, uh, what what I, I what I what I, as you were talking about it I I thought yes um, to one extent or another we all think when we arrive here that something never before seen has appeared you know no no being like this 
has ever walked the earth. And uh, and, that's, and and that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but so, somehow I don't think so. Hmm. <laughs> I think it's just a retelling of the story, like you were saying. But anyway, um, I, uh, the, uh, another question I have is, uh, well, I have one comment, um, which is uh, about your legacy. And um, I, I actually do think you have a legacy. And I think it's, I mean, probably many legacies, uh, but one of them is your poetry. And I hope somewhere when we go through your things, we'll find this wonderful volume filled with your poetry and we'll, we'll publish it for the world to see. <laughs> because, because there's some marvelous poems in there. Uh, and I wish I'd collected them over the years, but unfortunately I haven't. So I hope you're keeping track of them somehow. Um, and I'll leave that there. You don't need to comment on it, but uh, uh, the last question I have is, uh, who is Father Abbas? <laughs> well, uh, uh, the um, the term Abbas is simply the Latin for abbot. So. Father Abbas is in the Western world simply called Father Abbot or sometimes uh, Mother Abbas. So that's all. I uh, I sometimes use such terms and whatnot, I guess just to amuse myself. <laughs> but it does go back quite far to the... Um, the days of the desert mothers and fathers. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> Sarah? Thank you, Reverend Mio. Uh, it was a very timely talk in many ways. It reminded me when you were talking about the... Um, carrying just enough money when you travel for your cremation, uh, of doing the Shikoku pilgrimage. Um, when we started, we all put on these white jackets, which were our cremation robes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, ro we wore those every day, uh, going from temple to temple. And at each temple, we chanted the Heart Sutra in Japanese. And uh, there was something very transformative for me about that experience. Um, you, you were often hot, tired, and sweaty. And when you got to the temple, instead of immediately going to chant, uh, you'd go find a vending machine and get something cold to drink <laughs> and sit on the side of the temple and uh, take off your shoes because your feet hurt. <laughs> but it was that that process of wearing the body down that it, and it wasn't a disassociation experience but it was a, 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 um, 
it was the storyteller was gone. The body was going, and I didn't know how it kept going. It wasn't a me that, that kept it going. And I think that is one of the beautiful transformation processes that happens in a pilgrimage and why we humans do pilgrimages. Yes. So uh, thank you for bringing that memory back for me of my cremation experience. Um my my one visit to um mount koya to koyasan in japan uh i was only there a couple of nights and uh one night yes naturally i had another migraine <laughs> but it it uh it uh, subsided somewhere around two o'clock in the morning and I got up to use the bathroom. Everything was dead silent. Not a not a creature was stirring as far as I could tell. And I was, pardon me, standing at the urinal. And the window was open. And I could see down the road that travels along the top of uh, Koyasan. And there was fog everywhere. And I... Uh, I started to hear this little tinkling noise that wasn't me uh, from s somewhere. And I thought, what is that? And then as I looked down the road, out of the mist came maybe three or four or even five. I think they were all women dressed in white with stabs and hats and little bells. And that was the tinkling noise. Here it was, two o'clock in the morning, and they were continuing their pilgrimage. And that that was like being thrust back into the 15th century or something. And uh, to see these these uh, pilgrimage walkers in the middle of the night uh, pursuing their practice was sort of like a reward for surviving another migraine. And I've kept this this little magical experience in, uh, ever since. Yeah, it it is a magical transformative experience. Todd-san, would you like to? Oh, yes. Thank you. Yo-san, hello. Hi. Thank you for that wonderful talk. Um, I wondered if you could explain your thinking of what it means to write a dead, a death poem, uh, a dead poem, hmm. dead poem, so a death poem. What, um, you know, it would seem to be self-explanatory. And as you were describing your practice of doing it once a year, I thought, oh, that's great. I'll, I'm going to do that. But then I, I realized I made some assumptions about how to go about doing it. So what, what is your process and what, do you, what is there a process that you follow? Um, well, uh, some years, uh, the the poem has emerged 
kind of almost in its entirety uh, early in the year. And other years, like this year, it has taken a long, long time to emerge. Um, there isn't a particular process that I go through beyond setting myself the task of writing my death poem, which is, in a manner of speaking, a, a valediction, a farewell from the midst of whatever life is remaining to me. And for, assuming that point of view, uh, or I assume that point of view and then simply wait for whatever emerges. And as I say, sometimes it's a swift and, and painless process, and other times it's very slow. And this was mm. a, a slow year. Mm. Thank you. Um, I feel like I'm in a news conference by saying a follow-up question would be, um, but different is, um, it strikes me that I'm glad that you have find comfort in the idea of reincarnation. And I had always heard that Buddha taught that he didn't know what happens after death. He said, I thought that that's what he said. And I wonder if you could elaborate on, on your understanding of that. Well, I, uh, I think it depended uh, rather on how a questioner approached the issue. If if it was from the point of view of, uh, oh, blessed one, what happens after death? He would definitely turn away from that. Hmm. Um, but in the course of his teaching, the notion that... Uh, the apparent emergence and dissolution of this body-mind is not the complete story uh, emerged over and over again. It was pretty clear that he was not teaching annihilationism, as they say, namely, well, uh, once, once this body-mind dissolves, that person is cut off or that being is cut off. He rejected that. He also rejected the notion that, yes, there is a person who hops from life to life. He rejected that too. So he avoided both of those extremes, which is why one of the teachings tends to be, uh, maybe, maybe it's mostly among the Tibetans, uh, who uh, won't use the term reincarnation but instead say rebirth because reincarnation, the literal meaning is, yeah, okay, here's this person and we'll give them another meat envelope for another life. And uh, Buddhist teaching was, no, that's not quite right. There is no one hopping from life to life, but there is that life. And its beginning and ending are not to be known. Thank you. Uh, Mio-san, this is Clem. 
Shokan-san. Um, I would like to thank you for your uh, poignant and atmospheric presentation of your death poem tonight. Uh, the lighting worked quite well for it. Ah. <laughs> um, my understanding of the notion of reincarnation is, well, I think I best heard it expressed as, uh, I believe the man's name is Lavoisier's Law, the English version of which is, nothing is lost, nothing is gained, everything is transformed. Hmm. That could be a um, nutshell version of Buddha's teaching. Maybe the only footnote might be someone's bound to ask, well, uh, blessed one, how did this all get started? And then he'd say, never mind. Samsara without discernible beginning. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your teaching, Miyosan. Um, I, I, for one, miss your in-person uh, visits to us, but um, such things are difficult nowadays. Um, well, I, as you know, I, uh, uh, I don't travel well, but I miss being there with you. Thank you very much. Reverend Mio, it's, it's Dora Lee. Hi, Dora Lee. Hello. <laughs> Um, um, just quite a while ago, I um, was sort of caught in my zazen with, you know, this sort of uh, despair that I'm not the bodhisattva I wished I am. And, you know, if only this hadn't happened in my life or that, or I didn't have that problem, I would be a better bodhisattva. And then all of a sudden, I, this thought just came to me, well, you know, uh, this this won't be your only life. You know, I can be reborn again. And that brought this incredible release and relaxation. It's like, you know, it doesn't all have to get done. <laughs> and thank <laughs> heavens. Life. Thank heavens. Yeah. Oops. I don't know if you can see... Uh, well, let's see if I kind of point... Can you see some Chinese characters there on my wall? Is that at all visible? Uh, those are um, uh, some long uh, calligraphies in Chinese of the Bodhisattva vows, which a Korean woman was kind enough to to write out for me. And it's one of the few decorations I have here. And it's to remind me, as you just said, that uh, this process may have no end. And that what awaits us is uh, uh, more and more unfolding I dare to say, selfless labor of the bodhisattva on behalf of all suffering beings. And therefore, there is that 
um, prayer, I guess you could say, uh, spoken by um, Samantavadra in the Avatamsaka Sutra, who says, as long as space and sentient beings remain, so too I shall remain to uh, to reduce the misery of the world. And I can't think myself of a better uh, endless career than that one. Thank you. Thank you. Just checking with our Zoom Sangha. I don't see any hands raised. Um, so maybe uh, let's see. It's it's a quarter to nine, and uh, <laughs> it seems like every time I visit you guys, I either have a migraine or I have just had. Or I'm getting one, so <laughs> just accept that that will be part of my my Dharma practice, and that's the way it goes. But maybe that's enough for now. Thank you, Mio. And, We're in being uh, time with you. Thank you very much. Shall I? I do the closing chant. And then maybe we can all join in. I'll do the Japanese one, which I only do out of nostalgia, nothing else. <laughs>